how do we bring about meaningful change that is across domains, that is across generations, that is across institutions? And so how do we understand this holistic betterment of, of life in urban neighborhoods? So welcome to Leadership Disrupted. I'm your host, Ahmad Mansour, where we're very fortunate today to have what I describe as an illuminating figure in leadership and community transformation and in civic discourse. His name is Raymond Jetson, who is the Chief Catalyst Officer for uh, Metromorphosis, and his background is pretty extensive. He served as the uh, CEO of uh, Louisiana Family Recovery Corps, which is the nonprofit that responded to uh, Katrina. He was the deputy director of the Louisiana Department of, of Health and Hospitals. Uh, Raymond also served several years as uh, a state representative for District 61 for the Louisiana House of Representatives. And if that's not enough, he also was a pastor for 20 years at one of Baton Rouge's uh, more prominent known churches uh, in the city, Star Hill Church. And, and there is an and, um, he later became in 2010, uh, the Advanced Leadership Initiative Fellow at Harvard. So Raymond, I wanna welcome you to Leadership Disrupted. Thank you very much, uh, Ahmad. It is certainly a joy to share with you, and I'm excited to, to, to learn about and to participate in Leadership Disrupted. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Now, as you know, I just cited an extensive background, and guess what? That probably did not do it justice. There were many branches that could have I could have spoken to uh, in that bio, uh, but you did serve at a state legislature um, you ran a statewide agency, you, uh, you know, you led a Katrina efforts and, and you were a fellow and now you have this, uh, this, this social enterprise called metamorphosis. So my question, my first question to you is, you know, what drives you uh, to engage in act these activities of change? Uh, Ahmad, I, I, I am a product of inner city Baton Rouge. Uh, I grew up in uh, a neighborhood that is uh, the technical name, the, the government name, if you will, is Greenville Extension, uh, but it's known as Eden Park. Uh, and uh, Eden Park nurtured me, it shaped me, it molded me, and it delivered me uh, to the world ready to, 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 to make a difference. And when I look uh, at the Eden Parks of, of, of America today, uh, I, I, I see challenges, I see distress, I see institutions are uh, not functioning. Um, and I, I, I owe something for what I've received. Uh, and, you know, for 23 years, I pastored a congregation that was rooted uh, in, in, in inner city life. Um, and, and so it's just, it's who I am. And I just believe that uh, I've been blessed immeasurably. Uh, and with that comes a responsibility. 
Yeah, I just I find it interesting because very easily with someone with your background, you could have easily stayed in the state legislature and had a pretty uh, cushy life. But you know, you kind of reminds me of uh, of Miles Davis, who I canonize as someone who is always innovating and looking to kind of transform to the next uh, state of artistry. Um, so my question to you is, is that is this is just simply a reflection of who you are constantly moving? Well, yes, and but it, it is deeply rooted uh, in, in for me. Uh, my, what, what is a biblical principle that that I buy into 100 percent? And it is that there is a time and a season for everything under the sun. That, that, and, and so that, that, that word uh, time there says that there is a point which in terms of purpose, something is to begin. And that word season speaks to a duration. Uh, and so for me, uh, I want to make certain that I am living in purpose, that there is an effectiveness, uh, that a difference is being made by my being there. And so whenever I sense that that season is ending, for me, that's a signal that there's something else uh, that, that I need to be doing uh, that is rooted in and maybe built upon uh, what, what, what I've done before. Uh, but I've always believed that within me uh, are the resources that are necessary to provide a way for me. And, and so I've never been worried about how I would feed my family or you know where the next this was going to come from. I just believed that I had what, what it would take if something was planted in me as the next thing. Uh, I, I just believed that I had what it takes to make it thrive and, and, and to be something that has meaning. That's great. So for the last, I, I believe if I looked at your site and I remember receiving a, uh, an email, so you're working on your 10th anniversary of Metromorphosis, uh, your yeah. current social enterprise, who's who's just doing incredible work uh, in Baton Rouge, and I, I guess I would probably say the state of uh, Louisiana. Now, one of the things that uh, appear to be your, your well, not appear, it is your mission, that you talk about uh, transforming communities from within. So, what exactly does that mean? Uh, for you and also for uh, Metromorphosis? Yeah, th thank you for, for, for that question because e each of those words in what might be called our tagline, but is also our mission, uh, has, has real meaning for us. First, first transform. Uh, it, it, it's not just dancing around the fringes. It's not just, you know, helping a small segment of people, but it is fundamentally how do we change this space? How, how do we bring about meaningful change that is across domains, that is across generations, that is across institutions? And so how do we understand this holistic betterment of, of, of life in urban neighborhoods? Uh, it's not that I have anything against rural life or suburban life, but, but I grew up in the neighborhood. And so <laughs> right. uh, we, we, we are focused on, on, on urban communities from within. Uh, one of the statements that I have made, boy, I don't know how many times over this last 10 years, is the resources that are necessary to transform inner city neighborhoods cannot be imported. 
you 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 can't just bus them in or truck them in or write a check them in. Uh, you know that there has to be this acknowledgement that there are resources and assets that already exist in inner city neighborhoods, some of the most resourceful people in the world. You know, we have to understand in many instances, capital beyond just financial capital, but social capital, resilience capital, uh, navigational capital. I mean, we, we have folks who, who may be fund dollar poverty, but uh, capital wealthy in terms of their ability to thrive and to navigate uh, in, in very, very challenging situations. We also have assets and institutions that have meaning, uh, but so very often from those who are outside of the communities, they are devalued. Uh, and so I'll give you just a, a, a quick example of what from, from within means for us. Uh, we uh, believe that, that, that entrepreneurs, um, sole practitioners in inner city neighborhoods are a valuable resource. Uh, there's probably nothing that compares uh, to black barbershops and beauty salons uh, <laughs> right. in, in terms of their reach and their presence in, uh, in, in, in communities. And so uh, we built a relationship uh, as the pandemic. We started uh, because one of the issues that we saw uh, with African-American males was health blood pressure in specific. We partnered with a number of barbershops and trained uh, barbers how to take blood pressure in partnership with wow. uh, the Heart Association and others. We tracked, we documented. Uh, the first batch of data we got back, uh, Ahmad, 91% of the brothers we tested had high blood pressure. Wow. And of that so how, number- So how did you, so, so how did the community respond to that? So the barbers, had referral information for those who did not have uh, uh, a, a medical home. Uh, we also had information from the Heart Association, from the Pennington Biomedical Research and other, other partners uh, who were with, there, with us. The good thing about barbers is uh, folks who go to the barbershop will come back again. Uh, they come, they, they have schedules. And so we equipped the barbers to track. And so when Ahmad would come back in, the question would be, Ahmad, have you been? Did you go? What happened? What have you done? What are you doing differently? By the time we finished that project and COVID helped us finish a bit prematurely, uh, uh, we, uh, of that initial cohort, almost 40% of the people had almost normal blood pressure uh, a, a, a significant number of them uh, had changed diet, uh, a lifestyle, a number of them uh, had gone to doctors, started exercising, and so it, it was having a real impact. And then, of course, COVID disrupted that. But what COVID allowed us an opportunity to do was to pivot and expand our relationships to barbers and beauty salons. And so uh, we hosted a webinar just for them and brought in resources of uh, the, the cosmetology board, the governor's office, the mayor's office, to talk to them about reopening protocols. And one of the things that came out of that uh, was uh, the barbers and beauticians said, look, I, I haven't been cutting hair, doing hair for, for almost a year now. I don't have the money to do all of this stuff to open back up. And so Metromorphosis bought thermometers, uh, sanitizing liquid, mask and gloves for 150 shops. 
so that wow. they could open back in, in our neighborhoods. Um, and then we worked with a cohort of barbers and stylists uh, to create an initiative of, 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 of barbers and stylists as navigators and their shops as community hubs. And so we train those barbers and, and beauticians, Ahmad, uh, how to, to, to actively listen, uh, to, to inquire, so that we could understand what their customers were dealing with. And we collected that data over a two week period, then took a week, uh, analyzed that data, created a resource guide, scheduled a webinar to train these barbers uh, and stylists to, so that they could now say to their customers, you were interested in information on, 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 on finances. Here's a contact that you can reach out to. You were interested in education. Here's a contact. Uh, and, and we did that. And what we empirically uh, showed is that barbers and stylists are trusted voices for their customers. And so we had almost 600 referrals that were made. And of that number, 87% of the people who got a referral followed through on it. Uh, and so now so the, we are building on last thing. And now we are building yeah. on that and turning their shops into hubs. And so we are expanding the resources that are available in those shops. And so that's an example of what we mean by from within. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. And what I'm taking away from this is that from within that metamorphosis kind of serve as this innovation engine that uh, brings many different stakeholders to the table and is, and is able to kind of operationalize uh, approaches that deal with some of the challenges that may emerge there. Now, you and I, we met uh, in 2010 at, uh, at Harvard uh, in a course, a very popular leadership course and um, leadership has been a topic, obviously, uh, with the name of this particular podcast. Uh, I've always been uh, associated with and um, interested in, as well as yourself. And I know that you have thought about and have brought a lot of your thinking to metromorphosis related to, to leadership. So, what are some of those leadership principles that gets you? Uh, gets metamorphosis to show up and drive itself in such an impactful way in the communities? Well, that, that course that we spent that eventful week together in uh, is actually one of the underpinnings of the work of metamorphosis. And so we are decidedly uh, followers of adaptive leadership. Uh, and so we, we recognize that our work is to mobilize people. Uh, it's not... Our, it, Every issue we see doesn't belong to us. And so inherent uh, in that statement is, is an acknowledgement that it's not ours to do, but it is ours to identify whose work it is and how can we mobilize them. Uh, one of the indicators of, 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 of metamorphosis success uh, that, that we measure is mobilization. 
we literally have a mobilization tracker uh, that takes community engagement from a continuum that begins with simply informing and moves all the way to empower where people are undertaking initiatives on their own based upon some engagement with us. And we literally track all of our contacts uh, to see where we are. Um, and over the last three years, uh, we have mobilized more than 2000 people in inner city neighborhoods around initiatives that are important to them. And, and so we are adherents to adaptive leadership. We also believe that it is important to create a pipeline of, of, of folks who practice leadership differently in our communities. And so we have the Urban Leadership Development Initiative, where we have a cohort each year. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of weekends ago, we had our first session with our seventh cohort. Uh, there are probably 17, 18 uh, very talented younger people uh, who either live in or whose primary work connects them with uh, inner city neighborhoods. And it's a year-long uh, curriculum. Uh, you, one of the things that they get, Ahmad, is a copy of the practice of adaptive leadership from Ron, he Ron Heifetz and, and Marty Linsky. And we begin uh, working uh, with them in understanding what adaptive leadership is. Sure. So, you know, adaptive leadership, as we know, uh, provides kind of a framework, kind of a theory and practice. Um, but I wouldn't call it one of my critiques. I'll just say, but what's missing from there is you know what does that actually look like uh, on the ground? Now you've had to go on to the ground and bring some of these leadership approaches and strategies uh, down, you know, to 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 operationalize it. So what does what does it look like? What did you add to make this uh, leadership approach uh, functional um, in your in the community? So two, two things uh, are, are important. First of all, we start, before we actually start talking about adaptive leadership, uh, the first leadership-related uh, reading that, that our folks engage in, uh, Ahmad, the, in the, in the uh, leadership development cohort, uh, is from Dean uh, Williams' book, Real Leadership. And he has a chapter called The Activist Challenge. And what Dean Williams says in the activist challenge is that the beginning of the practice of leadership is waking people up to the contradictions between what they say and what's really happening. And, 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 and what we found uh, is that you can't just go in and say to people, you know, this is your work and we're here to help you do it, to mobilize you to do it, uh, that, that it's really important to help people see the stark contradictions in what we say and what we do. And so, for example, in our community, like so many others, we say children are treasures, they are valuable resources, they are our future. Uh, but we have a, a school system, uh, a mob where black boys make up 38% of the system and uh, 80 plus percent of the suspensions and expulsions. Uh, and, and black boys of those who make it to the ninth grade, 49% are graduating. That's not saying that these are treasured resources. And so you have to help people to see the contradiction between the things we say and what's really happening to wake them up to, the, to either the threat 
or the opportunity that's present. And so we, 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 we built that uh, into uh, the, the urban leadership curriculum, but we've also built that into the practices uh, of, of, of metromorphosis. Uh, the second thing in terms of our work um, is, 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 is the Tamarack Institute, Paul Bourne and others have written about community conversations. Uh, you have, in, in the early work of Metromorphosis, designed some of our conversations. All of our work begins with a conversation. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's structuring these dialogues that, that allow people to have a shared aspiration going forward. We have found that to be critical uh, in being able to move people together uh, in, in, in collective action. And so those are two uh, kind of caveats uh, that we have brought to uh, the practice of, of adaptive leadership. You know, I find that interesting because, um, you know, in leadership, so often and what is kind of treasured in our history is the transformative leader. And we've seen what that looks like. That is kind of the, the, the leader who has uh, kind of the big personality, um, really becomes highly motivational, uh, sets himself up in relationship to uh, other stakeholders in kind of a follower leader uh, relationship. And we've seen that, you know, whether it's in, uh, in CEOs, we definitely have seen it uh, in civil rights uh, communities where, you know, the king become, the, you know, the, the kings of the world becomes kind of that, that Moses uh, model. Um, how have you, because I know you do a lot of work uh, in, you know, African-American communities um, where there may be that, um, that assumption that that's the type of leadership that emerged, but how were you able to kind of, especially someone like yourself who brings so much to the table, how were you able to bring forth a leadership model that doesn't put you or someone like yourself uh, in the middle and really make it in a much more, more kind of dispersed uh, model approach? So, so two, two, two things, uh, Ahmad, that, that we do, and, and uh, the, the, the first one uh, oftentimes uh, uh, gets us uh, on the wrong side of some people, uh, and it is we, we, dis, we disabuse people of this romanticized notion of the civil rights movement and, and other yeah. movements. Uh, Martin King was out front. But there was a huge ground game that went before him and after him. Uh, uh, that there were at least uh, twelve touches uh, uh, from people and organizations that led to the Rosa Parks moment on the bus. This was not a tired seamstress whose feet hurt and she decided right. not to move. This was an, uh, a, a well-planned strategic endeavor to get the right person at the right place, able to react in the right way. Uh, to, to create the outcome. And so we, we disabuse people of this romantic notion uh, of this Messiah uh, figure that everybody came behind. Uh, there was this 
this diverse mix of people uh, from from preachers uh, to to a huge cadre of strong black women uh, who who were on the ground. Uh, you had uh, characters as 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 diverse, uh, you know, as as, as Bayard Rustin, uh, who, who that that a movement uh, embraced, uh, you know, a, a gay black man in 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 the fifties and sixties uh, because of what he brought to the to. To, to the table. And, and that's not to suggest that he was the only gay black man in America right. at that point. The point uh, is, is that there were a lot of brilliant people uh, and strategists uh, who supported what Martin got in front of. Uh, what, you know, uh, what, 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 uh, so, someone once remarked, uh, Martin was brilliant enough to stay closely connected to that. Uh, because somebody remarked once, uh, you know, that, that if you are three steps in front of people, uh, you, you're, you're, you're practicing leadership. If you're 10 steps ahead, you've become a target. Uh, and, <laughs> right. you know, and, and, and so uh, we, we disabuse people of, 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 of those romantic uh, notions. Uh, but then, Ahmad, it is uh, creating platforms where people's voices are valued and, and where they really, but where they really sense that, that you value their voice. And that's where those community conversations uh, become so important uh, and, and being able uh, to adapt, to, to make certain. You know, we describe our work uh, as, as creating an intersection between lived experience and systems and structures. Ooh, I love that. It's great. Yeah. And so, and so how do we create that space where lived experience is heard by the systems and structures that are ostensibly existing to, to, to address uh, the needs and concerns of those with the lived experience? Well, I want to follow up on that because we're at a juncture where the issue of what is systemic versus what is, uh, you know, individual agency is beginning to kind of emerge, you know, uh, in these conversations related to justice. Um, how do you balance those two, um, um, those two polarities? Uh, I, I, I'll I leave think it there. that, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, and, and it is a very excellent question, my brother. I, I believe that, that you have to, well, you don't have to, what we choose to do uh, is reject the notion that it's either or, it can be both and. That you, you, can, you can have institutions, systems, and structures that are absolutely failing uh, to meet the needs of people. Now, that doesn't mean that they are failing in their design because they probably are functioning exactly as they are designed. And so we have to be honest about both sides of that coin. So, um, you know, one of the taglines, what, what, what I would call a tagline that I see um, as part of metromorphosis is, and I've heard you say it many times in, uh, in videos, um, is it the movement or the moment, or maybe vice versa, you say that. So you, you mind expounding movement. on that? What do you mean by that? 
So, and, and that's not original to me. Oh my God, I can't think of the brother's name. He was a, a Howard professor and the University of Maryland uh, professor. Ron, I almost said it, uh, but he coined the phrase. And then Joe Madison, uh, who's on Sirius XM, uses it quite often. So I want to make certain that 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 okay. it doesn't come across <laughs> as being original uh, to me. Uh, but but what we see uh, 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 is that there are these moments. You know, so, somebody gets killed. Uh, you know, something happens. Uh, uh, you know, some a bill passes the legislature, the governor, and there's this moment where we become royally ticked off, and and there's all of this venom in this. And, you know, and, 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 and we're ready to protest. We're ready to boycott. We're ready to do this, to do this. And we are fired up until the next moment happens. And right. then we move on. <laughs> and then we move on. Uh, moments don't change things. Movements do. This sustained set of intentional actions focused on uh, a, a clearly articulated outcome is what makes a difference. You talk about working with different sectors. And so we know that, you know, generally the three-legged stool when it comes to sectors is the social sector, government, and the private sector. Um, but so many times and so often, even though they all uh, claim to want to solve problems or challenges, um, they really have their own self-interest that perhaps may not have them show up in a way in which can be defined as mutual interests. Um, how do you deal with these three sectors in a way in which the three of them get to truly engage themselves in serious, real challenges and that it's just not something that is light I, I give you a concrete example, uh, Brother Amon. Uh, we have an initiative uh, that's a part of our business development work uh, that's focused on small um, um, African-American and women-owned businesses, uh, chiefly minority and women-owned businesses. Um, and one of the initiatives that we have uh, is called the Baton Rouge Procurement Opportunity Partnership. And what we've done in the Procurement Opportunity Partnership is we built uh, a partnership that includes the public sector. We have the mayor's office. Uh, we have these organizations who have these large budgets who procure. Uh, and, and, and what we have done is we, uh, in this partnership, help them to diversify their supply chain while at the same wow. time yeah. working to develop these small businesses so that they are ready to provide the goods and services at the level of excellence that's necessary to, to, to continue and to sustain these relationships. But it's about getting those sectors to, to not only talk to one another, but to agree to some outcomes and then work to, to in str strategic ways to make those outcomes happen. Well, you know, I, I, the operative term that I hear is uh, outcomes, because when I think about these three different sectors, um, they all have different metrics in terms of how they determine what is value. Um, so do you come up with these shared metrics that 
all could see themselves in, in a way that brings value to their organizations. We focus on three metrics uh, in the Baton Rouge Procurement Opportunity Partnership. What is the aggregate number of dollars that are spent with these businesses? How many contracts, purchase orders uh, are issued with these businesses? And how many of these businesses are participating? And all of these entities from the, the largest of businesses to the smallest of, 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 of small businesses can identify something of value in those metrics for, for, for them. Now, the logistics to getting there is not always sim simple. As a matter of fact, at our last meeting, part of what we talked about with the, with the, with the Procurement Council was the different uh, technologies that are used to track their spending. And that it's some, and then, uh, so you have an international uh, BASF, uh, which is a, a, an international uh, chemical plant. Uh, I mean, they track spending in North America. Hmm. And so getting them to understand, well, what we need is, what are you spending in Baton Rouge? I mean, that's, that's a major, major step. And so what we had to identify is that there are some portion of this 25 plus businesses who are ready to report this information right now. There are some who could be ready with some minor adjustments and with a little technical assistance. How do, you know, it seems like right now we're bottlenecked, you know, where you have, like, like we're, we're having a hard time getting through you know, getting through the eye of the needle, sort of say, um, to the other side, to the other side of transformation. What is what does leadership look like to start getting us to the other side if we're bottlenecked right now? Uh, I, I think that it, it, it require it looks like a fundamental shift in our understanding. And I think at the heart of the disruption uh, that, that, that you speak to, uh, Ahmad, is this needed acknowledgement that leadership is a practice, not a position. And that by virtue of someone being in a position or having a title or having a particular authority does not endue them with some special leadership skills. Leadership is a practice. Uh, and, and, and what I see is so many of the folks that we call leaders, I mean, the only people they deploy are themselves. Uh, the only people they mobilize are themselves. Uh, <laughs> right. And if we're going to have substantial change, it's going to require a totally different understanding of, 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 of what leadership is. Uh, it's not something that I wait for a position or a title or an authority figure to bless it or, or to be on somebody's blue ribbon commission or appointed to something. You know, it, it's about me understanding what are my gifts, talents and abilities and what is the opportunity in this moment? Because, you know, you, so, so some, someone once said, if you've planted uh, your seeds, then rain is a good thing. If, if you haven't, rain is an inconvenience. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so that has an opportunity in all of those disruptive factors that you've seen. But it requires understanding that there is not the United States government is not going to change my neighborhood. The people who live there are going to change my neighborhood. 
And so if I'm about changing that neighborhood, yes, I need to hold the Congress and the state legislature and the local city council. Yes, I need to hold them accountable for the policies that they pass. And yes, I need to advocate and do all of those other things. But the most important sustainable change that I can make is equipping people to create the communities that they want to live in. That's real change. Oh, I love it. I love it. So uh, my last question to you is, um, no, this is a lot of this starts just in my admiration for who you are and what I know about you. Um, you know, I've seen you and I know that you've held many different positions, but when I've had an opportunity to uh, come to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, what, I, what I see there is um, a community that has a great deal of admiration for you, but it just seems like it's not just one particular community. Um, I've spoken to many different people, whether it's the chamber, whether it's, you know, uh, the church community, whether it's, uh, you know, in the urban uh, inner city neighborhoods or the state legislature or the government. So how would you characterize your approach towards leadership that allows for you to, uh, to be connected to such a broad range of people and, and really fit, make them feel like this is, this is a shared uh, responsibility? Uh, two things. One, um, I say quite frequently, relationships matter. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much to, to greet people kindly. It doesn't take much to, to, if you ask someone how they're feeling, to actually listen to their answer uh, and, 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 and engage people uh, and, and, and to try to get to know them as people. Uh, and, and, and so for me, relationships, uh, relationships matter. Um, the, the, the second thing uh, that I will say is that um, living life well requires personal capital, social capital. Uh, leading change requires personal, political, social capital. And you can't withdraw what you don't deposit. Uh, and so uh, I, I am very intentional. I mean, I, I share with people one of the reasons that, that, that I have been able to do some of the things that I've been able to do is that I am now spending uh, personal, social, and political capital that I built up over 30 years of public life. Uh, and, 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 and so uh, I, I try to treat people uh, as if their relationship matters because it does to me. Uh, and I try not to do that in a manipulative way so that they are positioned to do what I want them to do when I want them to do something, but to genuinely value them uh, as a creation uh, of, of, of my creator and someone that's, that's worthy of me knowing as a human being. Uh, but then also uh, being strategic about understanding where you have capital and how it can be utilized. That's great. Now, I forgot about the this, this designation that you hold proudly today, and that is elder. Yes, sir. How is the role of elder, embracing the role of elder, um, playing into 
your leadership capacity? Well, because I mean, you're you're around a lot. You're around a lot of around a lot of people. There are a lot of young people who love being around you, and and they soak it up. And this ideal of embracing the elder uh, seems to really kind of fit. Yeah, I I think that it's really important that we uh, reclaim the word elder from the word elderly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I I think that that uh, I am an adherent to uh, intergenerational relationships and co-generations. Uh, I think that it is important uh, that that we take the wisdom of the elders and the ingenuity of the younger voices and bring that together to tackle the tough challenges that that we are facing. Uh, But then lastly, in a very personal way, uh, my dad died at 54. I'm 65. That's 11 years beyond what my dad even had Mm -hmm. an opportunity. That comes with a responsibility. That comes with an obligation to my family and to my community. Uh, I've been around long enough to to see a lot of things and I'm still healthy enough to do something with them. Uh, And so I have an obligation. Uh, Leadership is like a relay race. It's important to pass the baton well in order to win. Absolutely. Well, we want you around much longer, my brother, because we know that you have uh, work to do. And, um, and I know, you know, I, I know you have a full regimen of, uh, of not only being there for the community, but also some self care of, you know, staying in shape and, you know, keeping your energy right. So I just want to thank you uh, for first coming on Leadership Disrupted. And secondly, for just the impactful work that you do um, in the city of Baton Rouge, but really as a model for how communities uh, can transform from within. So I want to thank you for coming on. So if you can, just tell us if you can leave us with uh, how can we get in contact with uh, your organization or what's your website? What's the best way for people to uh, learn a little bit more about you? And it is Metromorphosis, M-E-T-R-O-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S. The website is metromorphosis.net. Uh, my email is raymond at metromorphosis.net. Or they can check me out at raymondajetson.com. Uh, and they can email me there at raj at raymondajetson.com. And on the Twitters, the Facebook, the Instagram, it's all at Raymond A. Jetson. Raymond A. Jetson, thank you for coming on. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate it. Say, Disruptors, I would like to make a few factual corrections from our podcast today with Raymond Jetson. I first mentioned that Raymond was the CEO of Metamorphosis when I should have said that he was the CEO of Metromorphosis. Second, I mentioned that Raymond Jetson was the Deputy Director of Health and Hospitals when I should have said that he was the Deputy Secretary of Health and Hospitals in the state of Louisiana. I want to thank Raymond for coming on today, and I look forward to more conversations.